Welcome to the weekly message from Encounter, where your past has no future and hope is reborn. Our speaker today is Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor at Encounter. This morning, I want to remind you that the Word of God, the Bible says it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And, and the reason for the two edges is because one of them cuts our natural man, and the other edge cuts in the spirit. And I've been in church service when the Word of God has been going forth, and I found myself getting mad. You ever been there? And if I'm not careful, I'm, I'm first getting mad at the man or the woman that's bringing the Word, and then secondly, I get mad at the Word itself. And what I have come to understand is that when the Word of God goes forth, or when, when we're worshiping, the spiritual realm is being affected as well. And, and if, as a believer, if we are in, in, in bondage to something, there is a spirit behind that. It doesn't matter what it is, there is a spirit behind that. And, and when the Word of God is coming, going forth, it's coming after that spirit. Like when Jesus looked at Peter, he says, get thee behind me, Satan. Now, he didn't confuse Peter and Satan. He was talking to the spirit that was speaking through Peter. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And, and I can tell you that that spirit of Satan didn't like being pointed out. So I've come to understand something. If I'm, I'm someplace where the word of God is being preached and it's being truly preached and I find myself getting angry, what's really happening is the spirit that has had me enslaved to something is getting angry and it's affecting my emotions, but that also means that God is bringing me to a place of decision. And, and what, what, that's, a, that's, a moment. We, that's a moment where we can change eternity in that moment by the decision we make. How many know what I'm saying? Do you... So, the, so the, the response to getting mad at the preaching of the Word of God is not to get up and leave. And I've seen people do that. The response of the Word of God is to you and I now respond. Listen to the Spirit of God and respond. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15. Reading just the first part of that verse. God is speaking to His people, and He says this. See... See? Deuteronomy 30, 15. Is that what you guys are saying? Okay. See? I. Everybody say I. That's God speaking. God says, look. See? I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. Would you stretch your hands this way and pray with me and for me? Father, I, we need you today to, uh, I, just, to, just to do a supernatural work in our lives. God, I know the Holy Spirit. You're the real teacher. You're the real preacher. You're the real guide here this morning. So I just release you to speak to us in our hearts and through my mouth, God, what you desire to share with this people here today. And I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, for the next few minutes, 
escaping the hood. Y'all know what the hood is. That's just short for neighborhood. We were supposed to be playing a video, a minute and a half video of Mr. Rogers coming out and singing to you, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Because there is a spirit in the land that has been in operation ever since the days of Cain and Abel. When Cain and Abel went into sacrifice to God, Cain got his feelings hurt. And he was about to leave the place mad. And God said to him, I'm going to paraphrase, he said, sin lies at the door and it waits for you. So at that moment, Cain still had a choice to make. He'd gotten hurt, he'd gotten offended that God did not seem to appreciate the offering that Cain had brought like Abel received appreciation from God. And so he had an opportunity to make a decision and God warned him that like a, like a lion, sin lies at the door and waits for him. The Spirit invites you and I to move into his neighborhood. The cost of living in this neighborhood of entry is universally available. It requires only that you have suffered some kind of loss or face some kind of battle. In this hood, you can find camaraderie with other like-minded people. In this hood, you, are often, you will often find compassion and attention and even, meaning, and even meaningful relationships. Living in this, foot, this hood can bring with it a certain sense of completion, a certain sense of safety. The name of this neighborhood is victimhood. There are many reasons to get you and I to move into victimhood. Anybody in here ever been hurt? Lied to? Anybody in here ever been upset with God? There are many reasons to move into the neighborhood of victimhood, but there are two good reasons why we need to escape the hood. Number one, nobody in victimhood is ever cured. Number two, nobody in victimhood goes to heaven. Webster's Dictionary offers three definitions of the word victim. Number one, one that is acted on and usually adversely affected by a force or a person. One that is injured or destroyed. That All of us have been there, haven't we? All of us have been acted on by a situation or a person that has harmed us. For the purposes of today, I'm not talking about the first definition because that's all of us. But the next two definitions. Second definition of a victim is one that has been tricked or duped. The third is one who is sacrificed to a deity or a god. Those living in victimhood are those who have allowed the definition of number one to become the definition of number two and three. The adverse event is no longer an event. It has become a lifestyle. All of us in this room have experienced a wound. Anybody, anybody here never been hurt or wounded? I, I, I feel like, you know, that there, there was a, a story told of a preacher one time that 
that, you know, he was challenging people that nobody is perfect. And he said, if, if you think you're perfect, I want you to stand to your feet right now. And near the back of the building, an older gentleman just kind of slowly got to his feet and he stood there. The pastor thought maybe he didn't understand what I said. So he said again, if you think you're perfect, I want you to stand. And the guy stood there like a telephone pole. Pastor pointed at him and said, sir, are you meaning to tell me that you think you're perfect? He said, oh, no, 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 I'm not perfect. I'm standing in honor of my wife's first husband. Okay? Because from what I hear, all of us have experienced a wound. All of us have tragic events in our life. If you're over the age of a a couple of moments old, my wife and I decided, and I I know this may seem odd, but we decided we didn't want our children spanked when they were born. We just felt like that was just a bad way to introduce somebody to life. And they both lived. Some of you are looking like, oh, how'd that work out? All of us have stuff that happens to us. Good stuff and life-giving stuff and bad stuff and evil and death. All of us. All of us have stuff that happens to us. But what we do with that stuff, what we do with life, is up to us. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verses 7 and 9. He said, We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. The person living in victimhood sees that verse differently. In their Bible, it says, We are hard-pressed on every side and soon to be crushed. We are perplexed and traveling into despair. We are persecuted and forsaken. We've been struck down and we await being destroyed. The resonant of victimhood takes a momentary event and turns it into a lifestyle. And most of their life is now flavored by that event. It shows up in their talk, in their thoughts, and in their decisions. They see, hear, feel, unconsciously seek another wound like a Boy Scout looking for another badge. They're like a drug addict who has now been infected with this drug and their body is demanding more and so they will leave no stone unturned to get another wound. Because in victimhood you have to remain wounded and you have to go deeper into victimhood. You have to explore. The person that's caught in the neighborhood of victimhood, they unconsciously seek it out. When you talk to them, they listen for offense. When they look They see a look on somebody's eyes and they see a look on somebody's face that to them, it speaks victim. They're waiting for me. 
the person living in victimhood, they feel that what was said was meant to victimize them or wound them. You can say something to them, but it gets twisted between your mouth and their ear. You see, the spirit of victimhood will do that to a person. It will make them hear. You can tell them, I love you and bless you. And they think, what do they want out of me? They, they have now, by this spirit, insulated themselves from being cured because everybody in their life is suspect. Everybody's words are to be questioned and filtered and considered and rolled over. They can have a conversation with you and you think everything went just fine. But they turn from you and as they walk away, they're thinking, what did he mean by that? What was that really all about? Who, who were they talking to? Do you think that they, is it possible? And so they go to somebody else and they begin to seek information. They're, they don't want resolution to the problem. They want you to know they have a badge called victimhood. And they want you to know how bad they're hurting. And they are hurting. And they want you to know how deeply they've been wounded. Because your attention and your compassion and your concern for them feeds this. It validates that they're living in the right neighborhood. They are frustrating to live with and they are frustrating to work with because everything and everybody is against them. Now, they wouldn't consciously say that, but their lifestyle dictates that. It, everything is a potential problem and They see the failure in everything. They see the potential problem in everything. They see the failure in every relationship. You can be 90% correct, but they'll see the 10% where you're wrong. And guess what? None of us are perfect. And they have a string of people that have, in their eyes and in their words, a string of people that have failed them. And it's easy, it's easy to blame those other people. You see one of these people. She meets Jesus at a well. And Jesus says, go get your husband. Now it's, listen to me for a moment, listen to me. It's easy to point a finger at the five guys. But what was she doing to make them want her to leave? And she, 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 not consciously, but she was seeking victimhood. She, she unconsciously doesn't understand how did this fail again. She can walk into a room of people and, and she can be attracted to the one individual that is going to do the, her the most harm or him the most harm and go after that person and engage that person in a relationship. And they're seeding the garden so that several weeks or months later or years later they can come to you and say, look at this badge, look how that person or look how that pastor or look how that husband or that wife or that church failed me. And if you listen closely, it's even the voice from Adam in the garden. When God said to Adam, what have you done? Some people believe that Adam blamed Eve. He did not blame Eve. He blamed God. He said, God, that woman, 
you gave me. Don't, don't be pushing this off on me, God. This is your fault. You gave me that woman. And she spoke to me. Some of you been there. When you live in victimhood, you become vulnerable to the spirit of Absalom. If you know Absalom's story, Absalom was one of David's sons. And he was at odd with, the, with his father, King David. And there come a time when David wanted to fix what the, the gulf. He wanted to remedy the situation. And, and so he threw a banquet in Absalom's honor and he invited him in. And the Bible says that when Absalom came, he kissed him and he embraced him. And David was doing what he knew to do to, to, to fix the situation. But, but the Bible says that Absalom was hurt. He didn't feel like David had done enough. And that's just like the people in victimhood. It's always somebody else's fault. They they misunderstand or they didn't handle it right. And, And yet they forget that God says to you and I, I have placed before you life and it's your choice. And so we pick up the story of Absalom and Absalom leaves David and David has no idea that Absalom is upset, but Absalom is wounded. And so he moves into victimhood in verse 15, I'm sorry, verse 1 of 2 Samuel 15. 2 Samuel 15, verse 1. After this, it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Now Absalom would rise early and stand before the way to the gate. So it was that whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision, that Absalom would call to him and say, What city are you from? And he would say, Your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your case is good and right, but there is no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that I were made judge in the land. And everyone who has any suit or cause would come to me. Then I would give him justice. And so it was, whenever anyone came near to bow down to him, that he would put, his hand, put out his hand and take him and kiss him. In this manner, Absalom acted toward all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom... Stole the hearts of the men of Israel. He sits there at the gate and says, He doesn't really care about you. He was talking about David. I'm talking about God. Go back sometime and read 2 Samuel 14, the chapter before. Just some little nobody woman comes to David with a situation. And she said, sir, you know, I'm humble and I'm, I'm of no means, but I need some help. And David's final words were her. He instructs his guards. You follow her. You meet her needs. And whatever they do to her, they're doing to the king. React responsibly. Absalom said, nobody up there cares. David had just told this woman, it's as if you live in my house now. Because I want you to know that's what God is like. 
With, with him, it's as if you're his child, your son or daughter, because as a believer, that's exactly who you are. And God said, I will do anything. I will leave no stone unturned. But, but the victimhood neighborhood has a different newsletter. This newsletter says that nobody up there really cares because if he really cared about you, this would not have happened. You would have not been molested in this way. You would not have made this decision that you made. The home would not have broke up. The pastor wouldn't have said that. They wouldn't have died if God cared about you. Move into victimhood. We care about our people here. As you tell us your pain, we'll cry. As you share your sob story in a new and inventive way, we'll hug you and hold you and and embrace you in victimhood. He doesn't care. He, He let this happen. You're just like a ship without a rudder in your life. There's nothing you can do. Life just happens. That's just the cards I'm dealt with, Pastor. That's just what I got to deal with. That's just what's going on in my life. I'm just... Have you heard the talk of victimhood? It really stinks, Pastor. Now now I'm in this mess and I got to get out of it. And I don't know how to get out of it. So I guess I got to lie, cheat, and steal to get out of it. Because God ain't doing nothing. A recent Christian magazine told a story of a pastor who had traveled to India and preached, but he, had, he was supposed to have a certain permit to have a large gathering, and he didn't have that permit. And they told him, the next time you come back here, make sure you get a permit to have a large crusade like that. But he went back to India anyhow, and he didn't get a permit. And when they caught him having this crusade, they took him and they put him into jail. I'm sure that jails in India are not a nice place. Jails aren't a nice place anywhere. I can guarantee you in India they're not a nice place. And I have no doubt it tested every fiber of his being. His legal counsel told him, listen, when you go to court, I'm telling you right now, you don't know how it works here in India. You're not in the United States. In India, you are going to prison for five years. Just take it to the bank. You were warned. You broke the law. The consequences of that are you are going to prison for five years. Is there any way I can get out? Yes. Yes, there is. You can go to the judge and tell him you have a health condition. Tell him your health is failing. And if you don't get home quickly, you're going to die in prison. So he goes before the judge and he tells the judge, I'm, I'm, I've got conditioned and I need treatment and I, I need to go home. I'm under the care of a doctor. None of it being true. The judge delays his hearing for a few days as he ponders it. And he calls him back into the courtroom and basically says to the man, look me in the eye and tell me that's the truth. And this preacher told him, this is the truth. I'm under a doctor's care in the United States and I've got to go back home or I'm going to die in this prison. So the doctor releases, or the judge releases him to go back home. And this Christian magazine 
publish the story. That's how I know what I know. And I wrote to them and I said, how, how could you? How could you espouse this as a move and miracle of God? Because that's how the story was written. How God delivered him from the prison. God did not deliver him from the prison. Can I tell you something right now? I hold no judgment against this man, but he's still in that prison. He's in the prison that told him to lie to get out. And it's victimhood. We see victimhood all across this nation right now. We see it in our streets. We see it in Ferguson, Missouri. We see it in South Carolina. We see it in Cleveland. It's nobody else's fault. It's not their fault. It's everybody else's fault. Nobody owns their actions in victimhood. In victimhood, you can blame somebody else. It's that second or third or fourth or fifth spouse. It was... This event or that occurrence, it was this tragedy or that tragedy. It was the devil, it was God. And yet God says, I have set before you. What does God say about this lifestyle? Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11. For this commandment, which I commanded you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it, nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear and do it. But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. See? It's odd that he says see here. He's speaking. He says see because he knows that the Laodicean church would be blind. And they're only blind because they won't open their eyes. Nothing has made them blind. He tells them they can fix their blindness. He says, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God. That's his command. You got up this morning, you got a single command, love God. David, love God. BJ, love God. And things are going to happen today to challenge our position on that singular thing. You know, there's a saying now when somebody messes up, I only gave you one job. And that's what God is saying. I only gave you one job. Love him. That's job one, job two, and job three all wrapped up into one. Love God. Now, now, here's why you've got to get this in context. He said, listen, God is saying, I am going to send to you life and good. When you are alive, love God. When things are going good, 
love God. But I, God, am also going to send to you evil and death. And when evil comes, love God. And when death comes, love God. He wants his people to know this truth. You are to love God. We are to love God, whether we're enjoying our life or we're hating it in a moment. Because our singular purpose is to love God. But look what he says. I announce to you today, I got to go back. To love your God, to walk in his ways and keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments, so that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you. How many want to be blessed? He'll bless you in the land which you will go to possess. But if your heart turns away, people's heart can turn away in good times. People's heart can turn away when life is going good. People's heart can turn away when life is going evil. People's heart can go turn away when they experience death near them. When death gets up in their face and his presence is irrefutable, they can turn their hearts away. But notice it was them that turned their hearts away. You and I can't blame somebody else. We can't say, well, I... I They did it, God. These people turned their own hearts away. They decided rather than live in glory land, they'd rather live in victimhood. Rather than serve this God over here who brought evil to my door and now seems to be silent on the matter, I'm going to go into victimhood where I can find other victims and we can have a pity party every day. You come to my pity party, I'll come to yours. And then we'll go to Paula's, and then we'll go to Toro's, and we'll see if Tim's got something. You got anything wrong in your life? No, seriously, think hard. Hard, man. There's something down there. You've been wrong, lied to, joked about, mocked. Come on, think, dig, see, see, right there. Come on, we got a party for you. Come on, come over here and turn your heart. You don't know why God allowed this to happen? Just turn your heart against him. You were serving him, you were praying to him, and still your marriage fell apart. He doesn't care. Turn your heart. We understand. Let me hear what I'm saying. Turn your heart. We understand. We care in victimhood. We hug. We cry. We cry. And we cry. And then we laugh a little bit to build up our energy to cry some more. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, do you know when you're in victimhood, that's what you're doing? Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Surely... He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. 
But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Is that true? I, I want to ask you a question. If that's true, if he bore our sorrows, why are you carrying it around? If he lost peace so that we could have peace, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, then why don't we have peace? It's because peace is not allowed in victimhood. The moment you give up your victimhood for peace, you give up your right to whine about it. The moment you allow the Holy Spirit to bring this at rest by forgiving, there's only one way out of victimhood. That's to forgive. That's just to forgive. It wasn't right. They lied. Other people believed it. Other people look at you. Who gives a flip what anybody else thinks? I'm moving out of victimhood. I'm not going to live there anymore. They went on with their life. They're living their life somewhere else, and you're stuck in victimhood by your own choice. And so you get out of victimhood by saying, you dirty, rotten scoundrel, you don't deserve it, but I'm going to forgive you anyhow. And you allow the peace of Christ to come into your life, because not to do so is to imply that the work on the cross was not effective in your life. Because he bore our sorrows. Every sorrow that ever came your way, like every sin you ever did, was on Jesus on the cross. He bore them there. So what are you doing carrying it around? You see, nobody, nobody, listen to me, nobody moves from victimhood to heaven. Revelation 2.7, he who has an ear to hear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes. I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise. Everybody say overcomes. Revelation 2.11, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Now there's a fancy word that describes these verses. Remembering the word is irrelevant. What, here's, what, here's what's important, is that the adverse is just as true. If you overcome, you're not hurt by the second death. If you don't overcome, you are hurt by the second death. If you overcome, you do eat from the tree of life. If you don't overcome, you don't eat from the tree of life. Do you understand that? The problem isn't that we have problems. The problem is that these problems were sent by God as stepping stones and we allowed the problems to be our burden instead of a stepping stone. That thing that came to you and I was sent by God. Do you trust him or not? He said, I send to you good in life, death and evil. Does he know better what's for you or do you know better? The truth of the matter is, us eating in the tree in the garden put us into this mess. Because we still want to tell God, you know, I liked when you did that. Do more of that. 
But I didn't like it too much when you did that. Can, I know you're sorry, but just don't do that anymore. I'm in charge here. We think God can't do anything he wants in our life. Guess what? He can. He's God. He loves you, but he's God. He's compassionate, but he's God. And he has a singular, listen to me for a moment, he has a singular goal in mind. And that's it. And everything he does is focused on that one thing. I've got to get you into heaven. Because one moment, one moment there will make all of this seem worthwhile. Trust me. One moment in heaven will make all of this worthwhile. And so he's, he's focused. He's focused. He's concentrating on this. And he's the one that says, listen to me. When you get up tomorrow, start the day by saying, this is the day the Lord has made. Declare it to be the Lord's. And when you do that, then you can walk in confidence. You can walk in confidence that everything that comes your way has been father filtered. He, he sent this and, and this will not crush you and this will not destroy you. You will overcome this. You can't be an overcomer unless you overcome something. You're not an overcomer sitting there on a pew twiddling your thumbs. I overcame. I got out of bed this morning. That ain't really overcoming folks. You could have gone for ice cream, you know what I'm saying? That's not really a victorious march there. There's more than that. We have to overcome. We have to see every obstacle. Or we could be like the guy here who stands less of a chance than a snowball in the bad place. He stopped in this week. He's a resident of victimhood. He was 30-some years old, big, maybe two or three inches taller than me, built like a linebacker. Strong, healthy. I need some help. I've just been, I've been doing me wrong. I'm in a bad place, Pastor. I need some help. What you need, man? I need $250 right now. Well, what happened? I, I parked in the handicapped parking spot. And they gave me a ticket. And I can't pay it. Why'd they do that? I'm not kidding you. Why'd they do that? I got a ticket. Parked in a handicapped parking spot. I really want to say, only two fifty? I'd have doubled it. You jerk. There are people that really do need that spot. And look at you. You could play linebacker for the Cleveland Browns. What are you talking about? No, he didn't get his money. He didn't get mine either. Or yours. He who has an ear to hear. Let him hear what the Spirit says of the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Revelation 2.26, And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him will I give power over the nations. Revelation 3.5, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. When you're in victimhood, your name. In every boxing match, there's a winner and a loser. God is saying, I'm going to reward the winners 
and the losers suffer the consequences of their actions. Because I, I say that because, listen to me for a moment. Just because bad things happen to you does not make you a loser. What you do with that. When you look at every situation and you say, what is it? What's going on here, God? What do I, how do I handle this? What do I do? This is your puppy. This is your puppy. What do I do? I'm your son. I'm your daughter. What's this, what's this here for? What's going on? Teach me. Show me. Help me to learn. I'm going to step up on this. I'm, when this is done, I'm going to be on top and it's the bottom. Its head is going to be under my heel when this is done. Now, how do I get there, God? But too many people blame God for child abuse. Why did you do this, God? Why did you let that happen? Why did you, why'd you, why, 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 why? The mailboxes in the neighborhood of victimhood all have the same address. Why? And I want to tell you, if you're human, anybody in here human? You will take a lot of whys with you to the grave. Just don't let them be your address. I, I don't live at why. I don't live at why anymore. I'm not going to live at why anymore. Why is an address in victimhood. I don't live in victimhood. I've been seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And there's no why there. That's an absolute. That's an absolute. Revelation 3.12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he should go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. The new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Listen, church, he bore our sorrows. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. As he went to the cross, everything that ails you and I today has been paid for. We can... Be like Paul in a desperate situation without being desperate. We can be in a bad situation without being bad. We can be stressed and challenged without being stressed out. God, you want to weigh in on this matter? Do you have anything to say about how we should view our sorrows and grief? Colossians 2.8 Beware. Lest anyone cheat you through philosophy or empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you, point to the person next to you and say, and you, and you are complete in him. You are complete in God. You're complete in God. And listen to me, listen to me. This just came to me. The reason why we sometimes, the reason why we sometimes have adversity. Everybody say sometimes. The reason why we sometimes have adversity is because we're moving away from God. 
And so adversity comes and then you have a choice. You can continue to move farther away from God or you can say, thank you, God. I, I was getting out of line. He would rather surround you with good to keep you in him. But if it has to be bad, how many would rather just tell your kids, just don't go on the road? Don't go on the road. You can get hit there. But if you look out the door and your child is running headlong for the road and there's traffic, are you going to say, you're going to holler, scream. You may have seen the video out, this, this fella that does prank videos. He worked with, with a news channel and he engaged some parents to try to teach people about the dangers of online communications. And he's a 20-some-year-old man and he... Got, he, he came in agreement with three parents, and he said, and, and he got their Facebook accounts, names from the parents, and he approached them on Facebook. A 12, a 13, and a 14-year-old girl. Told all of them, I'm, I'm new to the neighborhood. I'd like to meet you. He, he posed himself as being a 14-year-old boy, just moved to the neighborhood, and they think it's great. And all three of them, now my parents won't let me do this, but so we got to, Wait until dad leaves. And one little girl, the 14-year-old, he said, meet me at the park. I'll see you at the park. And she said, i got to wait till my dad goes to work. And my mom will be sleeping, and then I can come. She only knows him from, from the Facebook, a matter of less than a week. And the time comes, and she texts him. My dad's gone. I'll see you. And she shows up at the park. Here's this little 14-year-old girl walking up and now she's seeing a 25-year-old man. Jumps out from behind the bushes, her dad. He walks up to her and screams in her face, What are you doing here? You don't even know who this is. And you thought I wasn't looking and you thought I didn't know and you thought I went to work. What are you thinking? And she starts crying. I don't know, Dad. He could have been a murderer. When I went to work this morning, could have been the last time I saw you. And we live in such a victimhood, these parents have been railed by all the people saying, did you really have to do that? The 13-year-old, he said, she said, wait till my parents are asleep and come to the door and I'll let you in. So at night, he goes up and knocks on the door. And this little, little, little 13-year-old, she opens the door while her parents are sleeping. His dad is with them, and he just goes off on her. What were you thinking? The third little girl, 12 years old, she says, when my parents go to work, I'll let you know. He says, great, we'll swing by in the van and pick you up. And when the parents went to work, she texted And the van pulls up out front, and she runs out and gets in the van. And her parents have masks on, and they grab her. She starts screaming and crying. They finally said, what were you thinking? Why would you do this? Why would you leave the safety of the house to go out to a van with somebody you don't even know who they are? And yet the children of God are doing this in worse every day. Every day, something bad happens. I got I to gotta go to my bottle. 
Something bad happens. I've got I to gotta go to my drugs. Something bad happens. I've got to get a pity party going. I've got to call this one. Tell them all my woes and all my problems. All right, I see your compassion well is dry. Let me go somewhere else. Hey, you got a minute? I need to talk to somebody. Just if They just walk up to you and stick a straw in. <laughs> Suck out all your compassion. <sighs> That's all you got, man. Come on, man. Somebody feels sorry for me. Don't you remember what? Let me tell you again what happened. Long time ago. I don't remember their name. It doesn't matter. I'm hurt. Just hurt. Hug me, David. And if David really loved me, he'd say, man, give that to God. He bore your sorrows. What are you doing carrying it anymore? That's not cold. Never, ever, 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 ever help your friends move into victimhood. I've had people been offended at me. You guys have seen some of that. They, Pastor, we're moving to victimhood. Would you bless us? No. No. When we move, can you visit us? No. Hmm. No. No. Move out of there. Move out of there. Get out of that neighborhood. Listen, folks, I ain't afraid of nothing. I'll go anywhere. I won't go to victimhood. That's a bad place. It's dangerous. I dropped somebody off one time here in the last, some short while ago, several months ago, and man, I just, I just needed me some chicken. You ever just need some chicken? Just, just need some chicken. And it was about chicken eating time anyhow, which is any time of the day or night. And so I know this was a bad, bad, bad neighborhood, okay? But my GPS said that there was a Popeye's chicken seven-tenths of a mile away. And so I drove to that Popeye's chicken. It was bad. It was bad. I mean, there were congregations of people out in the parking lot, and they were not singing barbershop quartets, okay? Let's just put it that way. And, and, and it isn't, listen to me for a moment, it isn't bad because everybody in the neighborhood was black, but it just happened that everybody in the neighborhood was black. And I walked into the restaurant, and it was almost like everybody stops. All 12 people in line and all the people behind the counter, and they look at me because I'm pasty white. And I get in line, and I'm waiting. When you got to have chicken, you got to have chicken. And I'm waiting for my chicken. I hear the door open behind me, and close. I turn around, and there's a great big African-American police officer. He's grinning ear to ear. He walks up to me. He says, you must be some crazy white boy to get your chicken fixed in this neighborhood. I said, yeah, I am. But I won't go with you to victimhood because you have no business living there. You've been called better. You've been called to greater than that. 
listen to me for just a moment. I, I want you to see in the spiritual, not the natural. I'm going to fight all morning. Only technical difficulties, but our heating and cooling system in this place works flawlessly. And it's, there's a reason why. You can be distracted today or you can listen to what the Spirit of God is trying to tell you. God speaks to me in funny ways. When I said that, here's what I saw in the Spirit. I saw what looked like a U-Haul place and a bunch of trucks going out, moving, driving down to a neighborhood. I'm getting out of that God saying, I'm, I'm, sending, I'm sending help to move them out of that neighborhood this morning. I'm sending help to move them out of the neighborhood. You, you, but the problem with U-Haul is you load the truck. Okay? Would you stand to your feet this morning? And you, point your neighbor again and say, you, being dead in your trespasses has been made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. We, I'm not going to take the time, but we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 30 that I was reading to you, and God said, I set before you life and death, good and life, death and evil. God said, I set that before you. Listen to me for a moment. He's saying that here. But before he finishes that chapter, he does this. And I declare to all of heaven and all of earth that what I'm saying here is true. They have the power of life and death. Good and evil. That demonic spirit that draws people into bondage, whatever your bondage is today, he knows something that you need to know. It's near you. It's in your heart. It's in your mouth. That cry to be free. Cry to change your address. And God said, it's not a hard thing. You don't have to search the heavens to find it. You don't have to send somebody across the sea and tell them to bring it back. It's right there. Where you just say, I'm not going to be a victim anymore. I, I can't change that they touched me. I, I, I can't change that they said that. I... I can't change that that happened, but, but here's what I can do. I can get up out of this death pit and I can go on. I can go on right now. I, I, I can dismiss the builder that's building my home in victimhood and I can tell him I don't need your services anymore. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay with God. I'm not going to serve this, this false god of victim. I'm not going to fall prey to the Absalom spirit that says God doesn't understand. Come and talk to me. I hear you. you your cause is just. That spirit will tell you whatever you, need, whatever you think you need to hear. That preacher don't care. You want another fix? I'll give you some drugs. I'll give you more. You're addicted. Your family doesn't understand your need. I need the drugs. I'll give you some more. I'll give you some more wound. You want to be, 
You are, man, you are a wounded warrior. You know that? Man, you carry a lot of wounds, John. Powerful. Well, if John's carrying these wounds, why was Jesus wounded for our transgressions? The reality is we're making gods out of ourselves when we carry our own sorrows and our own grief. We're setting ourselves up to be like God. And we're the ones that are choosing good and evil. God, that was okay. Glad for that, but you shouldn't let that happen. And I'm okay with that, God, but no more of that. And he says, but I'm the one that decides what I bring into your life. And when it's good, love me. And when it's life-giving, love me. And when it's death, love me. And when it's evil, love me. Amen. That's Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor of Encounter. More messages from Pastor Rice are available at our website, godenc.com. You can subscribe to our regular podcast through our website or on iTunes. Find us on Facebook under Encounter.